This episode is dedicated to the memory of Rosie Johnson. Welcome back to the Inadvertent Whistle podcast for our holiday extravaganza show that we do annually. And Adam, I got to tell you, I'm really excited. We're getting into the holiday season. Um, so why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the people and tell them who we have as our guest today? Well, I presume that you mean the first annual holiday extravaganza because I believe this is our first one. So hopefully we'll live to, to do a second one at some point. Maybe yeah, we'll have to do that. We're up to seven listeners now, too. Maybe we'll have to do that at Valentine's Day. We're not very specific about which holiday, so we'll, we'll see if we're still around uh, come Valentine's Day. Happy holidays to everybody. Um, tis the season to be jolly. Uh, speaking about jolly, we are fortunate enough today to have a very special guest with us, Julian Brown. Um, Julian's been a longtime official uh, in basketball. Uh, he played high school basketball at Robinson here in Northern Virginia, played for the legendary Bob McKig, um, who's a terrific individual in and of himself and uh, quite a funny guy as well. Um, Julian, you also coached for a long time. I know that, but, but we've got him on today because he started a project. Oh, I'll let him tell us when, but I think it was well over a year ago. Um, Nova Legends, which which is an interesting uh, venture for him to to bring back the memories and and the and the community of at least in basketball, Northern Virginia basketball, which has been really exciting to see the Facebook page uh, and the and the interviews that he's done. And for me, you know, Julian, what you're doing with that kind of in memory of Rosie, I want to try to link the two together. Rosie was such a legend for Cardinal basketball. Um, you know, he and guys like Joe Salcetti and Bill Naylor, who've all passed in, the, in recent months, were kind of the bedrock and the foundation of Cardinal basketball. And what you're doing with Nova Legends is resurrecting a lot of those legends so we get to hear and see them that a lot of people don't get to see. So welcome to the show. Tell us about that project because, I mean, I've seen a lot of it. I know Scott's seen a lot of it, and, and we love it. Oh, well, thanks for ha having me, guys. Um, well, first of all, I guess a uh, quick introduction, as, as Adam said, I, I did go to Robinson High School in, in Fairfax, played a little basketball. I was very small in high school. I grew late. Um, I was 5'5 my senior year of high school and 5'10 my first year at UVA. Ended up playing JV, JV ball there. Um, so, was, which is a great experience. You get to play Oak Hill, Flint Hill, lots of prep schools, lots of postgraduate schools. So you get to play some great, uh, great ball. Chris, played against like Chris Brooks, Rod Strickland. Um, the year before, like, they played against Chris Washburn, but Dennis Scott I played against. So anyway, um, while I was in, in school, I also coached summer league at Robinson. I coached for McKeg and then Boyer, when Boyer became the coach, and then Charlie, and then later on Boyer. Then I coached at Marshall uh, under Kevin Weirin. Um, I also coached AAU, um, what was called Nova United, which was a, a um, back then there wasn't a whole bunch, back in the early 90s, there wasn't a whole lot of AAU opportunities for folks. So only like the, the, the top all region 10 could make an AAU team. And Nova United was a, a chance to diversify and bring more opportunities for folks to play in the spring and the summer and the focus on the public school players. So that's what 
of Randy White. I know United did, me and Coach Gerald Branch and McKay. Quite a few others got involved in that. And then, you know, I officiated. I was making money as an interim role ref down at, back down at UVA about around 1985. And then one of the guys said, hey, you do a pretty good job. Why don't you come do some high school games for me? And there was a guy that Adam probably knows, Lou Farina, a guy that you probably worked with down in state tournaments. Uh, he was the he was a commissioner and a scheduler. So they they started, you know, getting varsity games. And I was probably 18 or 19. I was very young looking, but it was it was a great you experience. Still, you still are very young looking. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I got as much hair as Scott over there, but uh, but it was a great experience. And then I came up uh, to 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 Cardinal. Um, I graduated from law school and I and I started refereeing at Cardinal, met Rosie Johnson, and Rosie kind of personified uh, Cardinal in that I came from a Piedmont where it was good old boys. This is Charlottesville and the, and the farms and the small towns around Charlottesville. A lot of the refs were farmers or working guys. They didn't take officiating all that seriously in terms of how you dressed, you know, the mechanics necessarily. They took the game seriously and they loved it, but it was just different. I came up here and you had guys like Rosie Johnson and, uh, you know, kind of military mechanics, very serious. We give um, JV refs lots of uh, ways to get better. Anyway, it was just a, a great way to, um, to learn how to officiate from guys like Rosie. So then, anyway, in terms of Nova Legends, um, you know, during, during the lockdown, um, I, I ran into Keith Leonard, who played at Annandale in uh, Class 82, great player, outside shooter. They called him Primo. And, I, and my, my, my bike had broken down the side of the road, and some random guy, Good Samaritan, offered help. And it just happened to be Keith. And uh, it was in the middle of COVID, probably uh, – it was probably summer of 2020. So you're afraid to come near anybody. Um, but I said, no, I'm good. I'm waiting for my wife to come pick me up. But we talked a little bit. He said, hey, you've been posting some random high school photos on Facebook. I got some stuff. Can I post them? Will you post them for me? I guess he was too shy to post them. So I said, well, I said, well, that's kind of weird. So I did. And then people were like, why are you posting random high school basketball stuff of other people? So I'm like, well, I should just create a Facebook group of former Northern Virginia high school basketball players. We could all post stuff. And I, I called Jackie, got Jackie involved because she knows everybody. She got Red Jenkins involved. And a, a guy named Preston Green, um, who went to UVA with me. So he's, he's an historian, a, a professor of law up at uh, University of Connecticut. He played at Fort Hunt. And then Kerry Katonis got involved and a whole bunch of others, Paul Barberi. And we just started posting stuff. And then coaches, big time officials like you guys, uh, join in. And I want to say, make this point real quickly and let you guys back in. The name was supposed to be officials, supposed to be players, coaches, officials, and fans, but it was too long for Facebook. So I didn't want to take out players or coaches. And I didn't want to take out fans because I don't want to take out people that might not necessarily be involved in the sport. So officials had, there was the first casually. I didn't feel too bad about it because I was an official myself. So it was <laughs> originally you guys were in the title as well, but it just, it was too long for Facebook. Uh, we prefer not to be in the title. At least I, I prefer not to be in the title. Yeah. Adam Brick Group. So. Julian, I noticed that when you were talking about the the crispness, the way you dress, the mechanics that you use, that that you didn't use Adam's name. I'm just uh, I'm a little shocked at that. But uh, when you talk about – He's always been very perceptive. <laughs> when you talk about coming you know, to Cardinal from a different association, I think what a lot of people – um, that maybe outside of our association, because we have people that are um, all seven of our listeners are spread out across the U.S. and one in Australia. What what do you what what really drew you to Cardinal being as professional as they were? And, and I'm not trying to to pat ourselves on the back. I'm just trying to give other associations an idea of, of what was important for you as somebody that came in 
from the outside looking in? Well, first of all, people would show up with suitcases. I mean, where I came from, when you officiate a game, you, you came dressed, unless you're coming from work or something, you had to dress in the locker room. But these dudes at Cardinal, they had like suitcases. Like Carl Armstrong would come in with like a with a wardrobe and like all his shoes. He would shine his shoes in the uh, in the locker room before the game. And I was like, what what is going on? Aren't we just calling a basketball game? It was it was just a whole different concept because um, you know here the officials the officials of Cardinal it was important to have a certain level of professionalism. You know, not just make a call but sell the call. Um, the way you the way you act, uh, everything was being tracked not just by the coaches, which was how Piedmont did it. The coaches had the feedback. And Cardinal was the other officials that were 99, 95% of the evaluation of the younger officials and also of the other officials for postseason and stuff. So, you know, I didn't think it was all that important, but if, if I wanted to get anywhere in Cardinal, I had to I had to get in line. And to be honest with you, at first I was just like, this is crazy. These people, it's like, it's like a, a modeling show here. They're worried about their biceps. I mean, this guy was telling me about these, Supplements he was taking to make himself look more fit. I'm like, well, Jess Kersey's not fit. Earl Strong's not fit. Those guys are in the NBA. Who cares what you look like? So it was a it was a adjustment for me, and I kind of fought it. Adam might remember this. I probably was the kind of guy who used to roll my eyes a little bit. I'm like, guys, let's just go out there and call the basketball game. No one cares how we look. So I have to admit, I understand the importance of it now, and and I understood it after a year or two, um, because when you when you when you sell a call, even if it's a bad call, people are like. Huh, yeah, you know, he got that one right. And, you know, if you don't look confident about yourself, and that's just part of the mechanics, of course, and part of the professionalism, you got you to make much better calls. Yeah, Julian, I, I always talk about what, what you're talking about. I use the word believability. That, you know, back in the day, the, the old Budweiser commercials were about drinkability. And I think refereeing, particularly basketball, is about believability. Um, whether that's, a you know, whatever that recipe is for a, a specific individual, whether that's, you know, how you look, how you talk, how you walk, what your mechanics are like, what you call. At the end of the day, it's a recipe, and there's an art uh, for each individual person. It's not a science. There's this, there's this secret family recipe for every individual that makes you believable when you make a call. And ultimately, that's the, that's the job. Like you said, you may make a terrible call, and they believe you, um, and that's okay. Or you may make a very good call, and they don't believe you, and you got trouble. Well, Scott was was teasing you about your your mechanics, and I think – you have, a, you have an air about you and your personality is who you are. You're Adam Brick on the court. And there are things that you do, your mechanics and things you do to enhance who you are. But you're, you referee as, your, as, you, as Adam Brick and I referee as who I was. I, I, was, I was myself on the court and you are too. And that's just, it's easier that way. It's easier to be yourself. But there are things that you can do to make yourself, as you say, more believable. 100% uh, agree with you. Yeah. So it's, it's funny you mentioned, and I'm going to ask, Adam, the, I'm sure he, he knows this story, but you mentioned Carl Armstrong in a suitcase in the same sentence. And I think, I think it's, I think it's, there, there's such a funny story with him that, and, and I know Carl would laugh at it now. Um, but Adam, you gotta, you gotta let the listeners know what Carl used to do to get in the gyms. Well, not used to, he did it one time. Okay. One okay. Time. So I forget it was a playoff game and it was in Prince William somewhere. And you know, a bunch of us went to watch it, and we were in the we were in the locker room with the with the crew, and somebody somebody was late. I I don't even remember who it was. And Armstrong was there. He wasn't on the crew, but he had his bag with him. And so we were like, you know, hey, if so and so doesn't show up, no big deal. Carl's got his gear with him. He's he's good to go. And Carl's like, 
I have my bag, but it's empty. Like, what do you mean it's empty? He goes, I just used it to get in. So he couldn't help referee the game. Whoever it was ultimately showed up, but yeah. So all these years that bag was empty? Oh, no, only when he came to watch that one game. When he came to, to referee games, it was chock full. It looked like a, a Dick Sporting Goods in there. Um, probably the only guy that had a bigger bag coming to games is Marvin Dawkins, and I thought he had bodies in the damn thing. Um, I mean, I'm the guy who I come to games with, you know, one shirt, one pair of shoes. You know, I have multiple packs of gum, but that's about the only thing I carry multiple of is gum. Um, I've never shined a pair of shoes in my life for basketball shoes. That is. And the guys you were talking about, you know, they used to get at the PX on the, on the, on the military bases, whatever that, I forget what that shoe shine stuff was called. It was, you know, and it really, and I, I never did that. Yeah, that was it was big. Yeah, I, I I was looking at these folks. I'm like, man, this this is this is another animal up here. <laughs> and you know, I didn't even I didn't notice that when I played here because you don't really focus on the refs. Um, it, it wasn't until I officiated myself that I realized the level of professionalism and the expectations of each ref was going to be much higher than yeah. what I was used. To. I'm not I'm not talking badly about Piedmont because there's some good refs, right. good refs down there. But just a different a different. So style. so you know couple things. One, as I mentioned, you know, I think that both officials, players, coaches, we all have to understand, you know, that we stand on the shoulders of those that have come before us. Right. And, and we've dedicated this episode to Rosie Johnson. And, you know, I know I stand on his shoulders uh, and the association stands on his shoulders. And there are many others like him, you know, in, in bat in, in coaching. I mean, you played for one of the Northern Virginia legends in Bob McKick. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about what it was like to play for Bob. Well, first of all, he's, he's probably one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Um, I remember, so to, to tell you a little bit about Bob, I, I, I was a coach McKeg. I was a five foot two junior. And when he, when he came to Robinson, we, we were, we were, we had been, um, I'm sorry. I was a, I was a five foot two sophomore. I was going to become a junior and he got the job at Robinson. We'd been three and 18 my sophomore year. And um, Roscoe Dean, who had been the previous coach, had said, look, they got this guy named, uh, uh, Julian Brown, he's five three. You're not you're not gonna be able to cut this kid. And he he said he's five foot three. He said yeah. He says that's that's the first kid I'm gonna cut. He told the story at, at my senior year at the. Uh, now now the, for for those that don't know Coach McKeg, how big is Coach McKeg? Coach McKeg is six five. He played at right. UVA. He was class of seventy four. Also played uh, football there. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. He's 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 a, he's a big dude. And uh, you know I just. I played uh, summer league and I was, uh, when it came down to me and the starting quarterback of, of the football team who had, who had started some games as a junior and his father was our summer league coach. He cut Chuck Heaton and kept me on the varsity. It came down to us too. So, you know, my life, my life would have been so different if he didn't keep me because, you know, all the things I did, I, you know, I became a better player and I met so many people at UVA when I played my, my whole person, my whole, um, life is around basketball and I wouldn't have had any of that if it wasn't for coach McKeg. And then to tell you a funny story about McKeg um, later on, when, one, one more story about McKeg when I was playing, we played spin guard um, my junior year and they had Michael Graham and Sherman Douglas. It was our first game, his first game as coach. And we were, Robinson was the first gym to have breakaway rims. That was back when people were, were shattering blackboards. They got these breakaway rims and that wouldn't happen. So Robinson got him first because the regionals are at Robinson. So, you know, we really didn't dunk the ball very much. We maybe have one player that I could dunk. So we went to spin guard for the opening game and I, and I came in, we come into the gym, it's a four o'clock game. 
I says, coach, they have, they have breakaway rims as well. He says, they need them. Um, <laughs> you know, he's just, he was always, when I was refereeing one time at Chantilly, I was doing a pregame. It was me and two other guys um, and Coach McKagan and Coach Smith, Jim Smith, who coached Chantilly at the time, walked by our office. Coach McKagan pokes his head in and sees me in there and says, hey, I hope you ref better than you played. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I have no McKagan stories that I can tell. Um, because of the language that involved every one of the conversations he and I had over the years. And I loved refereeing his games. Yeah. He never, want, he never wanted you to call any fouls, just play, which, yeah. I, which you know as well as anybody else. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, there, there's a famous Jackie Funk story. I'm sure you guys have heard that one. That if you heard the one with Jackie Funk, Adam, it's not, it's not curse words, but Chantilly's playing Woodson. And Coach Smith is, is, is the head coach and McKegg's the assistant and Jackie's refereeing and, and Jackie Funk and Jackie had gone to Woodson. And, you know, the calls, I guess, weren't going Chantilly's way. And Coach McKegg says, why don't you just, why don't you just sing the Woodson fight song, Jackie? Um, and she gave him well, a, te- a te- technical foul. I had a game. I, I will tell one story. I'll have to leave out the, his parting uh, line, though. We, we, I was doing a game when he was at Westfield. And I was with Bernie Myers. And Bernie called a foul, and, and Bob didn't think it was a foul. And uh, he told me to – he goes, you tell Bernie that this isn't a girls' game. And I said, gladly. And so, I, you know, before they could put the ball in play, I blew my whistle. I ran across the court to tell Bernie this because I thought it was hilarious, and Bernie laughed. And player two later – we're in the first half. Player two later, one of the Westfield players goes to the hole pretty hard, gets clobbered, and I'm the lead, and I don't call anything. And I come up the floor and Bob and his big six foot five and I won't even, you know, 200 plus frame. He's got his hands spread out. And he's like, Adam, and I looked at him and said, Bob, it's not a girl's game. <laughs> and he gave me two words and they weren't happy birthday. Exactly. I know exactly what those two words were. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, this is, you do. This is a good time to transition um, to pet peeves because actually it kind of ties into what you guys were talking earlier with my pet peeve and I'll share mine first it, with officiating is we have officials that try to be somebody else. They, they don't, they don't interact with coaches as themselves. They're not authentic. One of the, the greatest things about Adam and why he's constantly recognized as a coach's favorite official on, on your show, Julian is because he's authentic. Um, and sometimes that authentic, that authenticism is not always a, uh, a happy place for coaches, but they appreciate the fact that Adam's, you know, going to manage the game and he's going to do it the right way. And I've seen so many people try to use one liners. They heard at a camp, they might hear a story that somebody might've shared with them, you know, post game, like when we used to go to Brian's, even though that, that closed down, um, and now they're they're trying to use their lines and it, it, it's just falling, you know, falling on deaf ears. And it's just it, it, it's just really frustrating to see this happen, especially with young guys. And so I almost feel like. I almost feel like maybe in some cases we might be part of the problem by sharing some of these stories. Um, but I also think that, you know, the, the, the most important thing and we, we talk about this um, shameless plug for the Steve Gordon basketball officials camp. Um, we share stories about this, but we always tell them, be authentic, be yourself. You can't be Adam Brick. You know, you can't say certain things 
to a coach that Adam Brick can say. Um, I had a great relationship with a lot of coaches over the years. But what I would say to Morgan Wooten, I might not be able to say to somebody else. And what I said to Andrew Duggan, I certainly couldn't say to anybody else because Andrew and I had a different communication style. But I, I, that would be my pet peeve for this episode is just we have to stop trying to be who we're not. We, we need to be ourselves. And by the way, in the long run, when you're authentic like that, the coaches will respect you more. And I started really focusing on that myself about 15 years ago. And every time I would go and, and officiate games with Billy Gibson, um, you know, working or Gary Hall working, I kept butting heads with them all the time. Then I just, I just stopped and I said, why don't I just be myself, be human, just converse with them. And there'll be times like Billy, I, I love refereeing Billy's games. Um, he probably doesn't like me refereeing his games, but when, when he goes after, you know, a, a play or an official about a call that was missed, you know, he's, he's authentic. He cares for his kids and we need to match that authenticity. And, and I think one of the things that I, I really liked about him is sometimes we'll go back and forth across the court. Billy, what are you yelling about? That play down there. I'm like, that play is over. Stop. And people are like, is he watching the game? And I'm like, that's how I'm able to do it. Now, if a JV official sitting in the stands, you know, I don't want them to go to the next game and, and do that with Christy Winter Scott or Amanda Baker or, you know, one of the other coaches on, in the Northern region for the girls side. But I just think it's really important for us to be authentic. So Adam, yeah, you want to go? To yeah. I think part of that authenticity though, is, I agree with you and, you know, appreciate the kind words, even though uh, they're probably not well-deserved, but going back, I mean, there were things I learned by trial and error, quite honestly, I remember speaking about Jim Smith. I'll never forget this game. And I was actually just on the phone with another legend the other night. I was talking to Gene Harrison, who I hadn't talked to in a long time, who I learned a ton from about officiating basketball in, in, in high school. I mean, a ton. And he and I and Maurice Sharons were doing a South Lakes Chantilly district final. And we were in overtime, maybe even double overtime. And it was at, I believe we were at South Lakes and a play happened. I don't remember if it was a call or no call, but I was right there in front of coach Smith and he was getting a little excited. And I just said one word to him. I said, relax. And you would have thought I called him, you know, an MF because he was relax. You relax. This is double overtime of district final. And I mean, he was going, he was getting hot. So I just had to step away because I, created that 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 conflict there so i've learned over the course of time to pick and choose you know when i can be a sarcastic asshole and yeah um when i when i can't say stuff um or you know i think like the other night i had a game where i hadn't been bench side in a while and nothing was going on in the game but we're like halfway through the second quarter and i just went up to the coach and i was like hey joe how you doing? I haven't seen you since the beginning of the game. I mean, so I, I think it's that notion that we're not just people in black, this, this thing in a black and white stripe. We're actually a person. And that goes to the whole piece of empathy for me. And my pet peeve, which aligns a little bit with yours, Scott, is that officials in particular, um, we need more empathy for the, what coaches and players are going through. Um, they work, you know, 
all week to get ready for a game. It's a zero sum game for them, right? Somebody wins, somebody loses. And we don't care who wins and loses. We just don't want overtime, right? So, you know, they put a lot into it and coaches have a tough job these days. And, and we know some of the stuff that's gone on lately in, in North Virginia, it's not an easy job. And they're with these kids, you know, day in and day out, we show up and we're there for an hour and a half to two hours and we get out of Dodge. Um, so I think empathy goes a long way. Uh, and so my, my biggest pet peeve in terms of officials and coaches is officials who don't acknowledge coaches because they're, they don't know what to say, or they maybe have a little trepidation. They don't acknowledge them at all. And I think there's, I don't think there's anything worse than being ignored when you're trying to raise a point, whether it's a valid point or not. And so that's kind of my pet peeve. That's, that's a good one. And I, I agree with you. And obviously we're not going to talk about what's going on in the Northern Virginia area. Um, just, you know, pray that everything works out for everybody involved. But I, I would say this, um, I'm really interested to hear if Julian's got a pet peeve because, you know, refereeing for 20 plus years, being involved in coaching now, you know, also in the role as a parent, um, but but also, you know, now that he's involved in this and, and, and being more involved with relationships and friendship for coaches, from an officiating standpoint, Julian, is there any pet peeves that stick out to you that you see that you wish that we as officials would would be better at or, or just observe more? Well, I think officiating generally, I, I don't like the emphasis on people's bodies or their fit. I mean, it's, it's important. And I'm actually probably on the fit side. I'm more interested in what kind of judgment does a person have? Is, is this person tough? Can they handle the pressure? To me, that, that makes a great ref. So that, that's my pet peeve with officiating generally. And, and I understand if you want to get to the next level, maybe having a physique is helpful. But I, I, I don't like the emphasis about the physique. Uh, in terms of refereeing, I don't like when officials get into the momentum of the game. If a team is if a team is getting beat early, they might call fouls on the other side. Maybe maybe not. Um, I don't think, I don't think they do it uh, consciously. Maybe subconsciously, but they just get involved in the momentum of the game, or they they, they call light fouls into a three point play. Um, I, I think you can call that late if you have to. Adam does a great job of not doing this. Um, if if a guy can make the shot, a person can make the shot. It's a little bit of contact. There's going to be contact in the lane. There's you know there's there's limited space. I think we should try to lay off those calls and and then I, and then to make it worse when you oversell it like you're happy it's a three point play you know you, to me you should almost call that reluctantly like well you know what, what am I going to do you kill them um, so that that would probably be my pet peeve or peeves <laughs> you know it's it's so funny you just brought up that play about the the and one on the on the weak contact you know we in officiating have this thing called hold the whistle you know and it's something we teach that if there's contact let's hold the whistle. And if they, if they miss the shot, we can hit the whistle late and give them the two shots because we don't want to slow the, the momentum down. And I had a play, gosh, this is 25 years ago, but I, I had a game down at American University, it was Gonzaga uh, versus number one, DeMatha, number one in the country with Bogans and Forte back in the day. And there was a play in overtime where uh, the Gonzaga kid goes in for a shot he gets bumped as he releases it. I'm in lead, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not giving him a weak call. And I'm pretty sure the ball was going in, and it rolled around the rim and rolled around the rim and rolled around, and then it popped out, and then I hit my whistle. And you would have thought that I had started World War III, and, and Morgan goes, 
well, at least you didn't wait to call it till tomorrow. <laughs> just, just a perfect Morgan Wooten line. May he rest in peace. But, um, but you're gonna get you're gonna get crap when you call it late because they don't for some reason. And, and soccer is the same thing when you play advantage. They always get mad when you when you bring it back. But it's the proper technique. It's better for the game. You don't want to give players fouls that you don't have to give because you know in basketball people are disqualified. So it's it's the best thing to do. But you are gonna get. A little bit of guff for doing it. You know, I, I think you get less guff when you explain it to the kid and they appreciate that. So, like, I had a play the other night where a kid's got the ball, he steals it, he's in the open court, kid reaches. It's not an intentional foul, but he, he loses the ball and I call the foul. Mm-hmm. And the coach looked at me who, 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 um, Got the, his team was was on offense at that point, and I said, "Hey, if he, if he controls that ball and plays through that contact, I'm going to let it go because he's going to have a layup." And explain the same thing to the kids, and they understand that. Um, or if they get some contact, but they play through it, or it's on a rebound, and a kid gets a little shove in the back, but the ball goes in or it goes to the other side. What I will say to the kid who thinks he was fouled is, "I saw it," and if the ball doesn't go in or if it comes to you, don't worry, I got your back on that one. They appreciate that. When you talk to them or talk with them and not at them, you gain a lot more friends as an official on the basketball court because now they begin to see you as a person and somebody who kind of understands the game. And so I'm with you on that. And and my other comment to the late whistle is my answer is always, yeah, but it was the correct whistle. I mean, and what I always tell officials is, the, your supervisor, your assigner, or your commissioner, whatever they're called, when when their phone rings and Coach, you know, Coach McKegg calls and says, you know, Brick made an awful call on this one play. The you know the assigner can't say yeah, but but Coach's whistle was quick. Yeah. That doesn't he can't defend that. But if, if McKegg calls and says, hey, Brick called this foul like you know two seconds after the play happened, and but if the call's right, then they can defend you. So get like you said earlier. Get the calls right, right, Julian? Just get the calls correct, and everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. You know, one, one mechanic they don't have in basketball that they have in soccer is they have – you can, when you when you let play um, advantage, you acknowledge the contact. So everyone knows that you saw the contact, but you let the play go through. We don't, we don't have that in basketball. So right. when you call it late, you know, it's, as Adam said, you, you may have some explaining to do, but uh, it's, yeah. still, it's still the right call. Got some explaining to do, Lucy. Exactly. Yeah. And we, we, I mean, obviously that's for basketball referees. When I say the tower philosophy, they should know the Oswald tower philosophy of advantage, disadvantage. You're right. We don't have that mechanic and we can't take our whistle out of our mouth and yell tower philosophy. Like nobody's going to be like, (laughs) don't forget the third part, Scott. Advantage, Advantage, disadvantage, disadvantage, rough play. Yeah. Rough play. That's right. I mean, again, for me, that makes contact much easier to judge. Did somebody gain an advantage? Was somebody put at a disadvantage? Or if I don't put air in the whistle, is this going to lead to rough play? That goes to your, your, your play at the basket, Julian, right? If, if somebody just hits a guy's arm lightly at, uh, you know, on a layup and the ball goes in, we got nothing. If the ball falls a foot short on a layup, even though he was slightly touched on the elbow, clearly he was put at a disadvantage. Or if the ball goes in, but the defender knocks him into the wall, I think we probably got to come get that. To me, that's easy. To tell another one more Piedmont story, the, the, the association in, in, um, in Charlottesville, some old timers there, good refs, they would bet before the game on beers after the game 
who who would call, who'd blow the first whistle? Who'd call the first foul? And so what they would do, and, and Adam probably seen people do this before. So what happened is, I mean, some of these guys would take us to the hill. So, I mean, so the first that first contact would be like a mugging before, and then after that, the game would be called normal. But they would do that, and the first quarter was always a lot of fun to watch. So. Uh, I've I've done similar. Um, actually, one was actually with Gene Harrison. We were doing a middle school game one year. He was a, a middle school teacher down in Prince William. We went down to do it, not at his school, but in, in his area. And we bet on who would have, whoever had the, the most jump balls during the game, held balls, would have to buy the pizza and beer afterwards. Uh, it got to the point where he was calling held balls right in front of me because I just wasn't blowing the whistle because I was never going to be back there. He, had a, he lived with all those people. Um, in schools and stuff. And so he had to take care of business. I was never going to be back there again. So he bought the pizza and beer that night. It was good times. This is good stuff. Let's um, let's shift to our mailbag. We've got a, got a couple of emails here. The, the first one is from Pete Medhurst, my uh, good friend who does afternoon drive for uh, the team 980 uh, over at AM 980 here in Washington, DC. He's also the voice of the Naval Academy for football and basketball and other sports and and uh, out of Rosecroft race, we just Pete's such a great guy, referee for uh, 25, 30 years, I believe at this point. So Pete, I'm sorry if I got that wrong, but Pete asked this question, how do we get high school coaches to remove gather and other NBA rules and terms from their vocabulary? And then he says, I'll hang up and listen, which is a great line for a talk show host. So I work for the NBA, so I'm probably the worst person to ask about this. So I'll, I'll let you guys take a shot at this first. Well, Pete didn't say long-time listener, first-time caller. No, got to work on that, Pete. <laughs> a little disappointing. I mean, Julian, I'll let you take a crack at that because I'm probably more on the coach's side on that one than I am on Pete's side. Yeah, well, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of an equivalent um, to that that I'm more that I'm more familiar with. I just, I mean, I mean, I, I let's, let's just face it. They're going to talk how they talk. I don't really know what we can do as officials about the about those kind of things, except for, you know, make the call and explain the call or sell the call, then have to explain it if you can, but I'm not really sure what we can do about that. Um, you know, the people, the kids are watching and the coaches and the fans are watching the NBA. Um, it's as popular as ever. So, um, you know, the Euro step, all the things that, that we see on TV, we have to deal with at the high school level that might not be as, or the, or the carry or the carries that, that they may let go. Um, and we're, we're left cleaning those up at the high school level, but I, I don't know what the, uh, yeah. what the right cure for that is. I mean, for, you know, for me, I, I do think when it comes to the continuation uh, on, a, on a shot that in a high school basketball, if to make a generalization, I think we have a tendency as a group to call it on the floor uh, more often than it should be. Um, if a kid, again, I mean, the, what, the motion that habitually precedes the whatever, whatever of the shot. Uh, sorry, Mike Preston. There's something like that in the rule book. Um, you know, if he's picked up his dribble, he's allowed to step. I mean, he's, and he's going to the basket, he shoot, right? He's gathered. Um, uh, uh, you know, Scott knows very well that I don't know the rule book terminology. Um, but if it looks like a shot, quacks like a shot, sounds like a shot, he was shooting. We're going to put him at the line. And I think just as long as we're consistent in the game um, from, you know, start to finish 32 minutes of high school basketball game, I think coaches will be happy. Like I've said before, they've given up on consistency from night to night. 
that doesn't happen in high school. And it happens a little bit more in college basketball. It doesn't happen like in the NBA where they're full-time employees. And I mean, they're trained to do what they do. Um, so um, now I just think when we talk to, when we talk to coaches, I never use rule book terminology. I just use, you know, I don't say he didn't establish initial legal guard. He didn't beat him to the spot. That, that's the, that's the language you're used to hearing. So I don't know. Sorry, Pete. I think we let you down on that one. Yeah, Pete, I'm, I'm going to agree with them. I mean, I'm not stopping the game and saying habitual motion that precedes the release. I mean, you know, I'm sorry. Just people are going to look at me like I need to see, you know, a counselor after that, but it it's gather. It's when the, when the, when the shots gathered and, and by the way, the NBA has a different role in traveling. They get a zero step when they gather first. And so when you see a Euro step or you see Giannis pick up his dribble at the top of the key, when he's in full gear and, you know, they, they count three steps. He gets that first step as a zero step. That's the gather step. It's just a different rule for the NBA. And by the way, from an officiating standpoint, and, you know, uh, again, I'm, I'm close to it working for the NBA and referee operations. And I get to see, you know, how things are called and how things are going. And, and, but and all of their, their training for their positioning and worrying about being sideline oriented and, being able to you know, referee active versus passive matchups. And, you know, if there's a screen coming, who's got the screener and who's got the defender, th those, those advanced officiating concepts are making their way down and they're making their way down for a reason. Like Adam said, these guys do it for a living. And so um, we can't take everything the NBA does because there are some, some differences in rules. But we should be able to take the officiating principles and the way that they 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 look at you know their positioning and things. So, yeah, to me, the biggest thing I tell our officials is, you know, we tend to as leads work I think too tight to the to the paint. We don't get wide um, in three man and particularly in two two person officiating. That to me is is watching the NBA guys and gals work the lead position, um, not what they call and what they don't call because, like you said, it's a different game with different roles and. It's entertaining. It's a different philosophy, but their positioning, uh, we can learn a lot from. We, we can also look overseas, like to what how the, Euro, the Europeans interpret the game, not for how we call a game here, but maybe if we want to change the way things are called. Like, for example, I had lunch with Alex, Alex Carnival. Alex played at Anando class of 84. He went to UVA with me. He says a lot of American players have a hard time adjusting. And in Europe, when you catch the ball, you got to bat it to the floor before you dribble you can't catch the ball and then dribble that's a travel if you do it while, while you're while you're while you're running so you got to almost catch it and bat it for it to be for it to, to be a legal dribble and I like the idea of giving the defense a chance because I think at some level not necessarily the high school level but at the pro level it's so hard to defend on the ball and I think that, that that's a rule that I think makes that's an interpretation that I think makes sense all right got another email here from a good old friend Mickey McDade happy birthday Mick Mickey had his birthday this week, living down in Hilton Head. He, uh, he says, I wouldn't miss the holiday extravaganza show. Speaking of holidays, are there any holiday tournament games coming up? And what would you tell referees about those? Adam? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, there are holiday tournaments coming up. Um, I know that they start, I think, the, the 20, 27th, maybe. Um, and they run that week. Yeah, I, I think the one thing to recognize is that um, you may see a team that we know we don't ever officiate, 
and again, and have a team that we officiate all the time. And just to be cognizant of that. Um, not that that means you have to do anything, uh, but be cognizant of the fact that, you know, those coaches don't know us and we don't know them. And again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, not go out of your way to chat with them, but go out of your way to make them feel a little comfortable and welcome um, without them thinking they're, you know, here I am at the Joe Cassio tournament playing Falls Church High School in their own gym and I'm about to get screwed. Um, coaches are by nature, uh, you know, superstitious, conspiratorial. Um, that's just who they are. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we just got to make sure we're cognizant of the fact that we don't do anything to, to, to pour fuel on that fire. William, what do you think? Well, I would say, first of all, hello to Mickey. Mickey is another referee. He's a great ref. He had a, definitely had a style of his own, um, you know, um, I don't know about, about officiating, but the thing I'm most excited about the holiday tournaments is the public school teams look strong this year. I think we've, we've, uh, we've grown accustomed to the public schools being down because all the players are going to the private schools. And I'm not sure what's happened, but I've, I've, I've gone to a lot of games this year already, I think probably eight. Uh, so, by the way, it's like really good officiating this year, off to a great start. Um, but the level of play at the public schools is very high. So I'm looking forward to seeing matchups between public schools like Hayfield against private schools uh, during the holidays. And you can, um, there's a website, novahoops.com, that uh, they do a good job of giving the schedule and the scores. Um, so if you want to check that out, there should be some good matchups. Yeah, that's a good that's a good mention, Julian. Chris Jolly does a great job with novahoops.com. And it's great for us to be able to come home and wonder who won games, because usually we go through a text chain. Um, <laughs> but now we can just go right on his website and see the results. So the, the other thing I would add, you know, uh, is, if you get the early game, the nine o'clock game in the morning, the 1045 game in the morning, there's two things to think about. First of all, don't just think you can walk out there and go run on the court. You need to stretch and get ready. We can't afford to lose anybody. We're, we're you know, referee shortage right now is, is, is a real deal, especially during the pandemic. So we, we you know, stay healthy, stretch and all those things. But the other thing I would mention is take that game seriously. That, that game's important for the kids, even if it's in the loser's bracket, there was a game, um, we, we call it the Lou Loose game, over in the Sleepy Thompson tournaments, the, the seventh-place game on the last day, and uh, made, made Joe Salcetti rest in peace. That was his game for the last X amount of years. But he also understood that it was an important game. And, you know, we, we have this saying in ministry called have to versus get to. Most people, when they go to work in the morning, they think they have to go to work. You know, in ministry, we get to go to work. And I, I think we need to have that mentality of, you know, we're getting ready to go referee a basketball game. Um, we get to go do that. We don't have to. We get to go do that. And that's that's what I would share. So um, I don't think we, I don't think we have any other mail. So I thought we maybe get into some closing thoughts uh, before we sign off. And, you know, I'll, I'll go first. So Julian, it'll give you some time to think. But I just my closing thought is this. We, we have a. Um, a no current coaches policy on this podcast. So, you know, uh, your, your situation is a little different because you're not a scholastic coach. Um, we're actually going to have uh, our, our, uh, our friend, John Costello from broad run on here relatively soon. I just want to say that for what you're doing with Nova legends, 
you, you know the impact that you have with the local community and the coaches and the retired coaches. What you're doing is also have a big impact on the referees. Referees watch this. They, 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 they watch the interviews. They hear what coaches are saying. Oh, they take it to heart. And, and um, there, there are, we have 350 plus officials in Cardinal. I'm not saying all of them are members of your group, but I know a lot of them will watch it. They'll even uh, suggest that people watch an interview with a specific coach to hear what they have to say. And I think that it's, it's important for you to know that we love to hear the questions of, you know, besides who your favorite official was, but what did you like in an official? What did you see, you know, what were some of the things that you saw in an official that you didn't like? Because our officials do watch and listen. So I hope you'll continue that. And that would be, uh, that would be my closing thought. So. Uh, and before Julian gets to, 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 to close it, I want to, I want to add to that saying, I agree with what Scott said. And I just hope that, uh, what you're doing, Julian, not only continues to, to go and grow, but I think it, ha I hope it has an impact on bringing back the concept of the Northern region, uh, tournament, um, because, you know, those three days at, whether it was at Robinson or at the then Patriot center with the boys and girls semifinals on, on back-to-back -back nights and the boys and girls finals, those were outstanding three days of the Northern Virginia basketball community getting together. And I really miss that. Yeah, it was great. You, you're, you're lucky enough to have worked in that environment. I didn't play or officiate or coach in that environment, but it's, you know, 5,000 strong at Robinson. Those games were just unbelievable. And then I guess it was at George Mason for years. Um, you know, my sister was an all-met basketball player at Robinson. She was a great player, played at GW. And I just and this Nova Legends thing just all happened by mistake. You know, I got people like Coach Dick Wickline, legend, call me a legend now. I'm like, Coach – I averaged four points a game in high school, but it's been great. Uh, I mean, it, it is kind of an accidental thing um, to, to have had an impact uh, along with all the folk, all the members of the group and along with Keith and Preston and Carrie and Jackie who helped me get started. But it's, it has been, it has been great. Um, I really have enjoyed the impact. It's been flattering and it's been surprising. Um, you just never know in this world what, what your, where your talents will be valued. Uh, you know, I had no, and without Zoom, I would have never done podcasts. I was like, well, let me just interview this guy. I wouldn't have done that without Zoom. So, you know, just, just, just show you in life that you may have a, a skill or something you didn't even think about. And I just appreciate you guys being members of the group and contributing because you guys are big names in the area. Um, Scott, thanks for all your input. It's been great. Um, and thanks for having me on this podcast. But all the members of the group have made it possible. And I've just enjoyed, I just enjoyed being a, being a part of it. And we may have grown our, our listenership up with you being here because, you know, we, we were at six for such a long time. Somebody claimed the seventh spot. We might actually gain one uh, of your audience to come over to our, our group. So well, we no, might hit double. If people hear he's on here, we might get to double digits, Scott. Well, you should post all your links on, you know, on our group. So, I mean, that should give you 2000 looks. So just make sure you do that. And then that, that should help. Right. Yeah, that would, that, that's a good idea. Very good. <laughs> Any, any other last closing thoughts from either one of you? No, I just really appreciate you spending time with us today, Julian. Thank you. And, and hope you have and your family have a wonderful holiday. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Keep it going, brother. Yeah, you guys as well. Really, I've really enjoyed uh, uh, you guys being be invited and talk to you guys. Uh, it's great seeing Adam and his lovely wife uh, at the game, um, the Red Jenkins tournament. I got a chance to spend time with Red. So, you know, thanks for all you guys do. And, th you know, thanks for having me on. Well, we, we love having you. And, and, you know, what can I say? The holiday extravaganza show lives on 
Yeah. <laughs> this is our fourth year and our first time doing this, but that's okay. We'll, we'll have another one later, but uh, on behalf of our guest, Julian Brown and all those that wrote in Mickey McDade, Pete Medhurst, our sponsors at the Vienna Inn, as well as the Steve Gordon basketball officials camp. And we want to take a, also again, make a shout out for any official that's looking to go to a, a teaching camp. You can go to sgboc.com and registration will be open up over the holidays. Um, with that, Adam, as always, you have the last word. May you and your families have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. And may this be the only inadvertent whistle in your day. Let the rain wash away all the pain of